I was manufacturing the firearms and the ammunition, but having my gun, I felt safe. Because if anyone gave me shit, obviously it, it ended up coming and I ended up shooting someone in Birkenhead, and Lisa, I think it was, what I pulled out, the, the weapon. He said, what are you going to do with that? So I just thought, you know what, fuck it. I just woke up and went in the mood. So I shot him. But lucky, by God's grace, he never died. Because if it would have went through his shit a bit to the left, he would have been dead. I was in my cell and I was watching a program on Liverpool, um, on a case in Liverpool where a young kid was shot. And I think that was the turning point in my life when I thought, nah, what the fuck, you know, what the fuck's happening? I knew about it beforehand and it never bothered me, but when you watch the program and see his parents and I know a lot of people don't believe me and say, oh no, it's bullshit, you, you, you know, you've got no empathy, so why would you be bothered about that? But something clicked. When I watched that program that was televised, I knew about it and never, never phased me, it didn't bother me. It was just collateral, that, I used to view that as collateral damage and then, but when you watch the program and see the, uh, the shit his parents went through and his family, I used to put hundreds and hundreds of weapons on the street. Probably put over a thousand weapons, I didn't keep calculating of how many it was, but probably put over a thousand weapons on the streets. And even though it weren't my weapons that done that crime, it's still, you know, imagine what other crimes are. And I thought, nah, that's not, it, it, it's scum, you're peddling evil. Are you tired of using bulky old wallets, giving you a bulge where you don't want it to be? My old wallet was massive, so it brought all the ladies to the yard, which was a huge distraction and got in the way of my esteemed work on trigonometry. Ridge wallets have an incredible solution for you. This is mine, sleek, stylish, and with an industrial look to it. It can fit 12 cards with cash on the back using a clip like this one or a strap. We've got one for the whole team. I've got one, Francis has one, even our producer Anton has one, but he's from Liverpool, so he flogged his on the black market. The great thing about Ridge is that they give you a lifetime guarantee, which means if you want, you can have only one wallet for the rest of your life. Ridge are so confident in the quality of their product, they will give you 45 days to test drive their wallets. That means you can get the wallet, use it, and if you don't like it, you can return it within 45 days. Because Ridge is such great guys, they're gonna give you 10% off and free worldwide shipping and returns. To take advantage of this incredible offer, go to ridge.com forward slash trigger. That's ridge.com forward slash trigger and use our special code, which is of course, trigger. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantin Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a former gang member who's now working to get kids out of gangs. Sakaris McGrath, welcome to Trigonometry. All right, how are you? Okay. It's good to have you on, man. Yeah. Uh, before we get into uh, various stuff we want to talk to you about, obviously crime, prison, uh, stop and search, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but tell everybody what your journey through life has been, because it's unlike pretty much anyone that I've ever met, frankly. <laughs> it's a bit of a colour colourful past. Um the age of fifteen I got involved in petty crime from the age of twenty-one. That escalated to gangs and firearms, weapons. Um and then I got eight year prison sentence in two thousand and four for firearms and uh, a shooting. And then I was released two thousand and nine. Um I got a gang injunction put on me in 2011 by Merseyside Police. Then 2012, I moved to Lancashire uh, to get away from the gang injunction. 
um, and they put an operation on me, Lancashire Police, I think in 2014. Uh, 2016, I was arrested by Lancashire Police and I was jailed for eight and a half years uh, later on that year. And then I was released in 2020. So I've served two, I've served another small few prison centres for petty crime when I was a kid, but uh, I've served two significant, significant ones. So you were in prison two years ago? Um, just over, yeah. I was released in July 2020, yeah. Yeah, I was released from open conditions. Whereas on my pre on my first sentence, I, I was in high security. I was in category A on on that one. And you, coming back to the beginning, you say you got involved in petty crime. How how does one get involved in petty crime? How does that happen? I think it was my upbringing, uh, just the area I was living, my peers, the people I was around. Uh, you know, everyone I knew back then, everyone I mixed with, every single person bar one. Um, went on to lead a life of crime, went on to prisons and there was one there was one Jewish guy that I mixed with back then who went on to be successful. But apart from that, everyone went down the route of crime and criminality or they end up getting addicted to drugs, drug addiction or, you know, it's something, everything was detrimental. There's no person that I mixed with other than that one that's made a good life for themselves. And do you think a large part of it is like the area that you grew up in? Is it the fact that a lot of these kids maybe don't have dads in the home? Is it something that you could actually say that is the one thing? Or is it a combination yeah, of all I'd of say them? it's a combination of factors because everyone had a different life. Some people had a dad, some people never. So mm -hmm. Some people were, parents were skint and they lived in a smelly house. Some people never. But you know, So everything was different. I wouldn't say there was one factor, but I think it was a combination. But I think it was peer influence is a primary factor in leading people astray. Like we started off on motorbikes and then we started, I think I got my first car when I was 11. I could drive when I was 11 years of age. <laughs> I think the first one was a Chevette, a Vauxhall Chevette. And I was so I was on the streets at 11 years of age. I think the first time I got arrested when I was about 12, driving a motorbike, 13 maybe. Um, but, you know, it, it, it just goes down spirals and then... Mm. That, that was that. But did that, did that not scare you, Sicarius? The fact that you were 13 years old and suddenly there's a police officer there. That would put the fear of God into me as a young kid. No, the first time I got chased on a, on a moped, um, there was two of us on it. But there was a Vauxhall Cavalier that the police were in, in Anfield, and they chased us. We weren't even a chase because we weren't hardly moving. We were probably doing about 10 miles an hour, so they just come next to us and blocked us off. And they arrested me and took me to the police station and rang my parents. My parents come and got me and... That was that. I think I was too young. I, I went like a. The police knew I was just. I was just a kid. Even though I was antisocial, I weren't really doing nothing too bad. You know what I mean? And you, you, you say by the age of twenty-one, you'd, you'd, be, you'd progress to gangs and and guns at that point. Yes, yeah, firearms. So the, uh, I went to um, an area down south, south of Liverpool, and bought a load of firearms off of uh, these Asians who we knew, and then went back to Liverpool. But that was a result of me being bullied by. Uh, like like a load of doormen in lip. There was a load of doormen bullying, bullying me. Um, they, they had nightclubs and run doors and that, so they were bullying me for money. And in the end, I couldn't take no more, so I just went and bought a load of firearms, come back, and just, that, that was that. And, that's, and then from there, I just got, I, I ended up manufacturing and distributing firearms, selling firearms. So I think one thing leads to another, but there's always like a gateway offence. There's always a gateway into crime. Uh, and mine was petty crime, and then the bullying resulted in me getting involved in firearms and gangs for, I think it was primarily 
in the in in the first instance for, for my own protection. And then it's it become a habit then, it become habitual behaviour, like carrying a weapon all the time, a firearm all the time. I was when I got arrested in two thousand and three, and there was a firearm next to my bed, a loaded firearm next to my bed. I was arrested in Grange Mount in Wirral. So it becomes habitual. It becomes normal for me to carry to carry a gun. Sometimes I carry two. I'll just say for before you ask the question, Francis. For we have a big American mm -hmm. audience, and if they're watching this, they're thinking, "Well, guns. You know, we've got guns." But mm -hmm. in this country, having firearms, I mean, that is a very serious offence. It, it is hundred percent. It's I think it's five year minimum sentence, and and it is, it's it's rare. Fire firearms are common, but they're not as common as knives as such because. They're expensive to purchase, they're more difficult to source, whereas a knife, every kitchen has a knife. But I, I never used to carry knives, I used to carry guns, and that's what I, I used to feel comfortable with. I would never have felt comfortable carrying a knife at work for me, but I, I used to, you know, I used to get feel safe carrying a firearm. Sikoris, so you use the word bullying. Now, I don't think you mean bullying how a lot of people think about it, where you get, for instance, a lot of people think bullying is people making nasty comments to them, not being very nice. What do you mean by bullying? Well, bullying consists of, of many things, you know what I mean? But um, bullying can be in the playground, but the bullying I'm referring to was, I think I was about 20 years of age at the time. And these group of men, fully grown men, dormant, there about three cars, pulled up to me and took my car off me. Then when I met them that night, and they kidnapped me and, and were trying to chop me from off. It was only a threat to scare me, but it put the shit up me. I was terrified. I was petrified. I, I, I wouldn't go out the door. I, I was felt suicidal. I went to the police. I remember it was Shubri Police Station, and, and the police didn't give a shit. In other words, they were saying you deserve what you get. You little. They never said that. It were in their own words. You understand what I'm saying? Because I, I was a pest, but I was only a petty criminal, very petty criminal. And you know, as a result, uh, there was no one that could help me. So in the end, uh, as a human being. I was at cracking point and I thought, how, how am I going to defend myself against these people? So I just went and bought a load of guns. But I got different people to throw in the pot. And then I, I, I purchased them cheaper and then charged them a bit extra and then took me own, took me own few out of it, do you know what I mean? Because I never had the money to purchase them at the time. So I wangled it in a way that I come out with a few guns. And then from that, we went into manufacturing them. So we went into making them. Uh, deactivated them and would reactivate them and make the ammunition and then we'd set it on. I got arrested for that in 2004, I think it was, and I ended up getting eight, eight, eight years jail altogether. And how easy is it to do that, to take to that process? Because you've just made it sound like it's quite simple. Is it simple or is it actually, does it require quite a bit of talent, know-how, etc.? It's, it's like saying it's building a house, simple, to a builder and a bricklayer. <clears throat> it's simple, but to me and you, it's difficult. Whereas manufacturing firearms and building firearms and, and reactivating them, it's simple to someone that knows how to do it or what they're doing. Just like a mechanic, it's simple to repair a car, but I can't repair a car, if you understand what I'm saying. And back then, I, I had my own big unit, a big factory. And back then, I think I'd done it for three years, two, three years. It, it was it was easy, but I used to enjoy doing it. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes I do 10 a day, sometimes I do 15 in a day. It depends who we had helped me and, and what orders he had, but you know, it, it become habitual, but it all stemmed from the bullying. Well, I went a full shilling. I was, I was gone in the head. I went, I think the bullying pushed me over the end. It yeah. pushed me over the edge with a combination of other factors. What happened earlier on in my childhood, 
the bullion was 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 destroyed. I broke the broke the camel. That made me just go, and and there was nothing there in my head. I never had no <clears throat> rational thinking. I was deluded. I was gone. I was hearing voices. I, I was absolutely. Uh, I was fucked. Uh, there was no part of you that was sitting there going, "I'm now manufacturing fifteen firearms a day." Uh, sometimes it was ten. It always, you know. I'm just saying, on average, it was quite a lot. No, what I'm saying, yeah, yeah it doesn't. I'm, the number yeah. is not what I'm yeah, getting at. Yeah, I'm I getting at like mean. I've gone from I'm a petty criminal hmm. to. I went and bought a load of guns. I carry a gun. I have a gun by my bed, and I'm making guns and selling them. Like, did, did, was that? Were you ever present to the scale of like what no, you were doing? I, I was. I was mixed up in it. I was. My head was gone. I was deluded. But even when I'd, I'd be on the toilet, I'd have my gun there, cleaning it on the toilet, and, I, and I'd be ejecting the magazine and putting the bullets back in. I, I was. That's the type. I never even used to wear gloves. I was that irrational and that reckless. I just put the bullets in my finger. Because we used to make the ammunition. I used to make the ammunition. We had the press as well, so we put the powder in. We put we, we put the heads on the, the primers in the, in the in the bottom. Do you know what I mean? So I was manufacturing the firearms and the ammunition. But having my gun, I felt safe. I'd go anywhere. I'd go and the area where I, I was dating a girl from uh, Birkenhead, Whittle. And back then, uh, the Birkenheaders just wanted to fight me because it's from Liverpool, and I weren't a fighter. So having my gun on me used to make me comfortable to go in wherever I want to go. Because if anyone gave me shit, obviously it ended up coming that I ended up shooting someone in Birkenhead in Lisa, I think it was. Uh, I ended up speaking to him afterwards and apologising. Obviously, while I was away, I spoke to him on the phone. Um, a guy called Gareth, I don't want to give a second name, but it was a guy called Gareth who went to jail for. I shot him and I think it went through his shoulder and out of his arm or somewhere in that area. Lucky it never went through his chest, but I went to jail for shooting him. And the girl I was with at the time, Ended up dating him while I was in jail, <laughs> so it was, it was a bit of a bizarre one. You know, she, she stopped coming up on the visits, and then one day I rang her, um, and she's in bed with him, and I spoke to him. I said, "Put him on." I said, "Look, you know what's that and what's that." He he confronted me initially. Him and two of his friends confronted me. They, they stabbed the tire on my car, and then when when I pulled the what I pulled out the, the weapon, he said, "What are you going to do with that?" So I just thought, you know what, fuck it. I just woke up and went in the mood, so I shot him. But lucky, by God's grace, he never died. Because if it would have went through his shit a bit to the left, he would have been dead. So I think it was, you know, it was a blessing in disguise that I got that prison sentence then. Because if I never went to prison when I did, 100% I would have ended up killing someone. Yeah. There was another time when I went to Wade Smith in town, Liverpool City Centre, and he had two handguns on me. And, you know, I was wanting to see these doormen. And I wouldn't have thought twice about pulling the guns out and firing at them. And I could have hurt seriously hurt or killed innocent people and you know i think back in retrospect uh, I, I think back and think I, I was i'm glad that i went to prison when i did otherwise I, I could have killed someone or multiple people so but I, when you're involved in that you don't think you're not thinking I, well i certainly definitely wasn't thinking straight i weren't thinking rationally do you know what i mean uh, every every day i get up it was me, me gun where it wasn't sometimes at the car i'd have i'd have uh, one of the uh, weapons I had was a Beretta. I used to put it in a case and I put the case up the dash. So if the police stopped me, it, obviously they wouldn't find it, do you know what I mean? But it, it was, I don't know, looking back, it, it was a it was a bad time of, in my life. I was, I know I was doing wrong, but I weren't intending to hurt anyone, innocent people. It was just unfortunate that the guy, this Gareth guy with his two mates, was, he'd been on the piss, he was drunk. He seen me, obviously didn't like me because I was from Liverpool and saying, get off out of state, you scouse, it was in Liso and Will. It was just unfortunate that 
he said what he said and that was that. And I've went over to try and speak him out of it, just said give it a miss. And the next thing he's confronting me, so you know, I responded wrongly. I, it went right what I'd done. I regret what I'd done, but I'm just I'm just glad he never did. You you sound the way you talk about it as if you're incredibly paranoid. Do you think that's a lot of a reason why we see kids younger and younger, particularly in places like London, carrying knives? It's because they're all terrified. Yeah, but even I wouldn't say <clears throat> I weren't scared of death from my enemies. I was I, I I was I was more scared of not having nothing. If you've got something like when I had a firearm, for example, you'd, I'd feel safe. I wouldn't fear nothing. I wouldn't feel death. I wouldn't. I'd fear the police. Don't get me wrong, but when you've got that gun, you, you don't fear death. Even though there's still a risk you can be killed, you, you don't foresee the consequence. And without that gun, you, you, you're shitting yourself. So I can imagine applying the same logic to the kids who carry knives. They're obviously, I think a lot of them are scared if they see a rival or if they see a... Because a lot of them can't fight, I was the same. So they can't fight. So uh, that's why a lot of them carry the weapons. Because if they haven't got that weapon and they come across their enemies, then they're in trouble. So the fear is you're going to be unpre unprepared Unpre and correct, yeah. unable to defend yourself. Yeah, something along them lines, yeah. yeah. That, that's right. And then there's different methods of protection. Some people aren't affiliated to gangs, but they think these kids are thinking everyone else is carrying a knife. So I want to carry one because they're, they're scared. And then there's the ones who are affiliated to gangs and have got rival gangs. And they think if you haven't got my knife on me or my gun, whatever they're carrying, then they're going to be in trouble if they come across the rivals, if they come across their adversaries, you know what I mean? So I'd say a vast majority carry it for self-protection for, for whatever reason, because they've got gang rivals or just because they feel scared and or vulnerable. There's numerous factors, but a lot of it does boil down to protection. And how did you get involved in gangs specifically? Were you like a leader of a gang or...? Not initially, no. I, I, initially, I clinged on to a gang that were fighting with the doorman. So I sort of clinged on to them. I was getting in touch with them and then end up selling them a few of them guns. So they, they weren't great guns that I was selling. They were, they, they were just cheap, shitty guns, but they were still powerful. We, we used to test them on containers and cars and then metal containers on building sites. They were putting holes in them and they were putting holes in car doors. So you can imagine what they're doing to the body. Do you mean? Did you, did you never think about when you were selling these guns on? Like obviously, you know, they'll be used for protection. Most of them won't be used. Mm. But you used one yourself. Did you not think, hang on, this could be used to kill someone here? No, I didn't, I didn't think like that. Don't get me wrong. There was once or twice when someone went, they wanted a gun to go and do something, and I thought, no, nah, I don't want to get into fuck that. And, and there were occasions when I'd refuse to sell a gun to someone. If I thought, even though we weren't asked about who was it and what was, if I thought someone was going to be, like, assassinated with, with, with a gun, I wouldn't. That, that was a bit too much. No, I didn't want to go to that level. Do you know what I mean? Because even though I was reckless... I didn't ever want to kill any of my enemies or these doormen. I didn't want to kill them, but I was just reckless. I could have done it through my own recklessness. My intention was to, if I see them, I'm just going to shoot them in the legs or, sh or shoot them in the stomach. You know what I mean? That one on the lease, I, was, I shot him near the chest area, but I just woke up and weren't thinking straight. So it would have been recklessness more than malice or intent that, that I would have ended up killing someone. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, was, it was looking back, it was scary. It was massively scary. And I think the prison... Even though my first sentence didn't rehabilitate me, I think it was necessary 100% because I was going, I was getting worse and worse. And the more people you shoot, the more confident you become as an individual, as a shooter. It becomes more common, a common practice. You know what I mean? It's just like a fighter. The more people you beat up with your fists, mm. the more confident you're going to be and the more willing you're going to be to have a fight. 
Do you know, the more you get self-confidence, you know what I mean? And, and that's how it is. Definitely with guns, 100%. I want to get to prison in a second because we really want to talk with you about that. But before we do, just just take us there chronologically. So you 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 get involved with this gang because you've been bullied by these doormen. You've got guns. You've sold them guns. How do you then get more involved in the gang? I, or do you? I, initially, I clung, I clung on to the gang. Yeah. And then once I've established myself, then I've ended up going my own way. I've become like a loner. And then I was, I was linking with... Asian gangs and black and black gangs in the south of the, in the south of the country. So and then there was all different gangs coming to me to purchase firearms. So then I was affiliated to from just being clinking on to one one gang in Liverpool. At the time, they were the biggest gang in the city. They, they 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 were a serious group of individuals, and I clung on to them. I went high up in that gang. I was just a cling on because your enemy is my enemy. So we have something in common. So that's why I clung on to them. Because I thought they're fighting against these doormen. So I need to cling on to them so I'm not on my own. And then once I become more confident and more established in myself, I weren't really asked that. I didn't really need them as much. Do you mm. understand what I'm saying? They already Because yeah. then it developed my confidence. So I was confident standing on my own two feet. Mm -hmm. And you were selling guns to all these other gangs at the same time. Yeah, I was selling yeah. guns. A vast majority of people who... There was a couple of times when I refused to sell. People fired arms because I thought... Because they told me what they were going to use them for. And I thought, no, I don't want to be involved in that. And I don't want to take, you know, it's so I, I said, nah, it's it's not for me. But the vast majority, if some if someone had just come to me and asked for a gun, I'd sell them. Or I end up getting arrested. The police put an operation on me and they arrest me and for manufacturing and selling guns in 2004. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a sec. How much how much would you be selling these guns for? Back back then, the sentences for firearms were low. It went five year minimum. It was like, I know. There was a f people outside clubs that were getting liquid guns and getting two years. Do you know what I mean? So it was a low sentence for guns then. Back then I got four years, three months um, for a firearm. And that was a big sentence for a gun. Mm -hmm. It was big. Yeah. And plus a win a full shilling. The judge knew win a full shilling. It was the main judge in the Liverpool Crown Court, Henry Globe, who sent me. And he was very fair at me because he knew I was just a deluded kid. We'd went off the rails and he had serious mental health problems. I was bad. Um, a psychiatrist done a report on me and I, I, I went there. I mean, I was absolutely gone in the head. So, yeah, I got I got, I got a big sentence for for the firearms. But at the time, uh, if he was doing ten, I'd do ten for three grand, for example. So, work out three hundred. Ten firearms for three grand. For three thousand, yeah, for for, for three thousand pounds. So three hundred quid. Yeah. For one firearm. Yeah, but the, but that was in bulk. Yeah. I mean, whereas these days the price has gone right up. Yeah. Whereas back then he went as expensive. You, you you could get an half decent handgun back then for like a grand, twelve hundred quid, fifteen hundred quid max. Whereas now the prices are like three grand, two and a half grand, three grand, things like that. That even years ago the the price went right up. Do you know what I mean? Really? But back then they were, and most of the ones I were doing were reactivated ones. The vast vast majority of guns I put on the street and sold were all reactivated. So do we do pennies to buy? We were buying them for like sixty quid, eighty quid, ninety quid. It'd take me half an hour to reactivate one, but we changed the battle and make the ammunition. That was it. It was as simple as that. Wow. And so you were rapidly turning over all that money. So you were making quite a lot of money at the time then? I was, I was making quite a lot of money, yeah, but I was I was spending it as it was, you know, we had the rents on, on the units and, and, and the factories, what we had. Uh, I had my house rents and I was buying stupid little motorbikes and I don't, I don't know, I used to spend a lot of money on food, eating out all the time. 
Oh. They might have to. Go yeah, exactly. When he was talking about the price of guns, I'm like, fuck me, inflation's affecting everything. But, but Sicarius, so you, you were going through that and you had these psychological problems. And so would you mind just talking about that a little bit? Like, how bad were things for you? You said you were hearing voices. Was that bad? I was, I was bad on a scale of one to ten. I think it was a nine. But the judge recognized that in sensing me. It, um, the two guys who got nicked with me, they were older, they were in the 50s and stuff like that. They got nicked with about, I might be wrong on a number here, but I'm sure they got nicked, combined total, they got nicked with about 30 firearms roughly. Activated, deactivated, whatever, 30 firearms and paraphernalia and so on. They got five years and five and a half years. Mm -hmm. I was a kid and got four years, three months. Yeah. So in comparison, I got a harsher sentence than them. Do you know what I mean? The, 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 I think the judge who sent me on the guns was David Bolton, but he slammed me more than them. For one gun and for manufacturing, I got four free. And I was deemed to be low down the rank. I was just a kid with bad mental health problems. And they were two adult men who were ordering from America. They were on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And they only got around the same sentence as me. So you go to prison and the vast majority of people who watch our show and listen to our show have no idea what prison is like. Tell us, what's it like, that journey, your first day? Well, well, for me, because I upset that many people, but this is in 2004 I went to prison. First prison I went to was Walton in 2004 when I got nicked on these gun charges. Um, when I went to prison, I had every day was a nightmare in Walton prison because I upset that many people. And because it was all drug dealers and criminals that I upset. I never upset, you know, my average show public. It was drug dealers, criminals, and, you know, I upset that many people. How do you mean when you say you upset them? How did you upset them? Harmed them, robbed them. We used to extort drug dealers. Took the watches. One of the habits I used to have, well, I wouldn't say it was an habit, but we used to rob drug dealers' watches. So, so, so I'd wait by the house with a gun. When they pull up, I creep up, creep up to the car, put a gun to them, and take the watch, like the Rolex or whatever watch they had. Do you know what I mean? So I, I was, I was robbing watches off drug dealers. Do you owe Omar Little from The Wire, basically? What's that? <laughs> you haven't seen The Wire. The Wire. You'd enjoy it. Yeah. Or you might enjoy it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, well, so you're robbing drug dealers for their watches. Correct. And when I, you I go to prison, drugs. that's kind of what happens slightly spoiler to this dude I'm talking about in, in the in the TV series. So you're, you're robbing drug dealers, you're pissing them off, obviously, and then you go to prison and they're all there. No, not, not that they're all there. They were still outside, but they was putting, ah, they was putting hits on me from outside. Right. They wow. were ringing people in the prison. You'd have mobile phones back then in 2004. Yeah. And they paid the screw. Just uh, I don't know if I can say his name on here. Uh, a prison officer, should I say, Officer yeah. Peters. He, he attacked me. And there was an investigation. So he was paid or influenced by these gangs. Do you know what I mean? Because he got me in the office and was saying... So you just to be clear, drug dealers paid a prison, prison officer, officer to correct. attack a criminal like you correct. in prison. Yeah. Uh, and When you say attack, what did he do? Well, he, he butted me and um, he was saying, there's no guns in here, you, you called me a shitbag and whatever. Right. But there was an investigation into it and not an ever come. The investigation was never concluded. But he made me life help Peters. Um, and another time they opened my door on the landing uh, about half six in the morning. Someone come around with boiling water. But the officer the officer turned a blind eye to it. I don't know what officer that was. I don't know if it was Peters or I don't know. Or, you know, it was there was hits getting put on me left, right and centre. Because I was in prison, I was vulnerable. But I always swore when I get out, I'm comfiers. And, and when I got out, I did go for them and I made their lives. Well, not every one of them, but I got a lot of them back. Do you know what I mean? And I, a lot of them were from Whittle. And when I got out of that um, sentence, I, I, got, I got a lot of them back. Do you know 
I mean, so I, I made their lives difficult. But I'm not saying it was right what I'd done, but I was just full of hatred and anger. And I thought, nah, I'm coming for you. I never done nothing very bad. And a lot of them I just took money off and got compensated for what, what they'd done. But, you know, it is what it is. It's water over Dutch back. It's done. People who done me wrong, I forgive them. And after them, I probably dead anyway and in jail, whatever. I don't know. Don't know what they're up to, but that, that was the past. Wow. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, Constantine, do you want better mental health? I'm from Russia. We don't have mental health. So how do you deal with mental health? You drink vodka, then go out and wrestle bear. If you live, you feel better. If you die, you're not real man. What about the bear's feelings? It's Russian bear. It has no feelings. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, not sleeping enough, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Sleeping too much, undereating. This is Western disease. Therapy has really helped me in my life to concentrate and focus. It's really important to have someone impartial who you can talk to about the tricky issues that you're struggling to deal with. Therapy has played a really important role in helping me to deal with my ADHD and become better in all areas of my life. Why is he telling them how weak he is? Drink vodka, feel better. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Trigonometry funds get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash trigger, especially if they're not real men. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash trigger. Did you not see it as you putting yourself in real danger that you're going to not only mugging people, but mugging drug dealers? You must have known that at some point there was going to be retribution for that. Yeah, because, you know, when you've got firearms, you feel invincible. Uh, that's what, 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 like, when I didn't have nothing, I feared even getting a slap. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when you've got that firearm, well, I'm speaking like two decades ago. Do you know what I mean? So 2001, 2002, going back then, people didn't really carry firearms. Very, very rare. Um, and once you had that gun, it makes you feel invisible. It makes you feel like you've got a cloak of invincibility around you, yeah. like no one can harm you, no one can do nothing. And because most of vast, vast 99.99% of my enemies didn't carry guns, yeah. I had the upper hand. Do you know what I mean? So there was, I used to go on, I was, back then I was 10 stone, 10 and a half stone with no teeth. And I, I went to meet these, something's happened in Whittle. I, I've, I've terrorized some fella, this drug dealer. And he's went to these big stead heads, these big juice heads. They were like 23 stone plus, two brothers um, called Sean and Ben from, from Birkenhead. And uh, I've ended up going on a meet with them by this cafe off Laird Street, I think it was called Laird Street in Whittle. And I, I pulled up. I, I, was, I was in some stolen car and I had a handgun down my waistband and I pulled up. I think it, I was like 10 stone, 10 and a half stone. Pair of shorts on with two pieces of noodle legs, like my legs were like noodles. <laughs> pair of white two-stripe socks on, missing teeth and a vest. I, I look like a, I look like a drug addict. Yeah. This ten-stone little snotty-nosed kid getting out of a car to two big twenty-three-stone men, and I just went straight up them, or and and it's put them on the back foot. I had a gun on me, so they would have done it, and I would have shot both. But it's put them on the back foot straight away. Imagine you being twenty-three stone, you and your brother two years of absolute monsters. 
Um, everyone was shit scared of them over there because they can fight, they were big, they were powerful, strong. And then some little ten stone, ten stone scruffy kid pulls up and flies right over to us. It, put, it puts them back. It was the element of surprise. And he, they must have thought, who the fuck is this ten stone crackhead coming up and putting... I went horrible to them. I just said, you know, what? And, and that was that. It was, it was put to bed. But I'm glad they never said that anyway because I would, I, would, I would have shot over them. But that's the type of character I've become. I had no fear when he had a gun on me. I didn't care who you was, what you was. I didn't come and meet you with me. Mate said, come on my own. Just with me gun and that's all I needed. So I can understand why kids carry weapons because it gives them that sense of security. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not justifying it by no, any no. means. I'm no, giving, no, no, I'm, no, I'm no, giving no. you the reasoning behind it based upon my past yeah. understanding. Yeah. Well, th that's the reason we wanted to have you on because you're yeah. someone who's lived that life, but you've moved on and we'll talk about the way you've moved on in, in, in a bit. But you, you get locked up. Right? 2004. 2004. Yeah. Is that good for you? Does that help? Well, I, in Walton, I had, a, I had a life of hell, but when I went to Walt Cause, I was all right after then. And then from Walt Cause, I, went, I ended up in high security. I went to the Long Latin. And that, you know, that sentence, it never rehabilitated me, but it it done me well. Because when I got out after that sentence in 2009, I took a back seat then. Mm. I went front line, I went flying around with guns all the time on me. I went. I took a back seat that sentence did knock me back a bit so I went more organised more more back seat type do you know what I mean okay and then what happens from there 2009 I was still involved in gangs and criminality to uh, in Merseyside and I was linking with gangs in London and across the country most of them were Asian Asian gangs and black gangs and then 2011 they put a um, a gang injunction on me Merseyside police so eventually I've approached him and said, look, if I move out of my side, will you ease some? I couldn't be more than three people at once. I weren't allowed with more than three people. Um, I'd come out of my house in Anfield and the police would be videoing me with video cameras. Not not, not covertly, I mean overtly. A big, there was a big van there and they followed me with a video camera when I was walking my dogs. I was saying, fuck off. <laughs> and then I went to the Asda and they're in the Asda. They followed me everywhere. It was, that, that's how, it was a disruption tactic. Right. And, you know, it was effective. Did, did they stop me committing crime? Probably not, but combined with what they were doing and then they put the gang injunction on me, that got rid of me out of the pool. Even though it never rehabilitated me, it moved the problem out of the pool and then I went to Lancashire then. But when I went to Lancashire, I'd become more business-minded. Um, I set up businesses, companies, and I was still involved in organised crime, but it was nowhere near on the level of what I was doing. It was way, wasn't firearm-related. There's more protection rackets, extortion, um, mm. things like that. And who would you be targeting with the protection rackets and the extortion? Wealthy, wealthy, wealthy drug dealers. Do you know what I mean? But they, they weren't necessarily from Lancashire. But I had a security company up there. Uh, I'm, I'm, we used to get a, a lot of legit work. Do you know what I mean? But mm. like we used to do mediation as well. So if two gangs were fighting, two drug, de drug, drug dealing gangs, we'd mediate and find a middle ground. So there was, there was on one of the mediations, I think it got paid 10 grand, some of the others for five grand, but I was always skint, I never had money because my outgoings were too big. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, and after that, the Lancashire police put an operation on me and they ended up getting eight and a half years. For what? Um, a brothel, running a brothel. And there was a, a blackmail where I tried to recover 125,000 pounds. Someone lent someone, my co-defendant lent, lent someone £120,000. They were all dodgy, do you know what I mean? But they come to court and make out like they're legit and I, I, I'm not criticising them because, you know, I, I, I don't, but 
Because you were blackmailing them. Mm. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, I used inappropriate measures to try and recover the money. Yeah. Some of the stuff I got accused of, I honestly never done. Like the, I got accused of breaking windows and I never broke a window. That was me cold you doing all that. But I got dragged into his crap. And because the police wanted me that much, they were willing to use any means to get me. But a lot of the things, vast, vast majority of the stuff I got accused of, and I generally never done it. But do we regret it? No, because I needed that sentence. So that sentence done me good. Again, so the sentence in 2016, even though I went to prison for things I never done. I think I got six acquittals and I got one guilty. The, the brothel, yeah, I pleaded guilty to that, but the blackmail, I, I, most of the stuff I was accused of, it was me cold was doing that. And why was the second prison sentence the one that transformed you, the one that rehabilitated you or helped to rehabilitate you? I was in my cell and I was watching a programme on Liverpool, um, on a case in Liverpool where a young kid was shot. And I think that was the turning point in my life when I thought, nah, what the fuck, you know, what the fuck's happening? It, it was, I think it, it was, I knew about it before and it never bothered me, but when you watch the programme and see his parents and I know a lot of people don't believe me and say, oh no, it's bullshit, you, you, you know, you've got no empathy, so why would you be bothered about that? But something clicked and seeing, and seeing his parents and you think, nah, the, the shit they went through, it, it was, that was my turning point and then. You're talking about, is it Reese? Yeah. I, I don't remember his surname. Reese Jones. Reese Jones, yeah. Reese yeah. yeah. Jones. Was, he was 11 years old. Yeah. And he wasn't involved in anything. No, he, he, was, he wasn't involved in nothing. But when I watched that program that was televised, I knew about it. It never, never phased me. It didn't bother me. It was just collateral. That I used to view that as collateral damage. And then, mm. but when you watch the program and see the uh, the shit his parents went through, and his family, and you and you think, I, I was I used to put even though it was years and years before, I used to put hundreds and hundreds of weapons on the street. Probably put over a thousand weapons. I didn't keep calculating of how many it was, but mm. probably put over a thousand weapons on the streets. And even though it, it weren't my weapons that done that crime, mm. it's still, you know, imagine what other crimes. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, no, nah, that's not, it, it, it's scum. It's, you're peddling evil. You know what I mean? Same, same as when people deal heroin, they're just peddling evil on the streets. And that, that's what I've done for, for years, from 2001 up until my arrest in 2004. And you're putting that much misery and shit on the streets, it's, you don't know who your victims are going to be. You know what I mean? Because whoever's buying the guns, they don't tell you what they're using them for. Because if they did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have sold them on. I wouldn't have sold them. So they just buy them for whatever reason. And but imagine how many people have got harmed and hurt as a result of me doing that. And obviously, it just clicked. Or something. And from that day, I just, I changed from that day. Not, not straight away, but my change was gradual. And I built up on that. And it was reinforced by charities engaging with me. Whereas when I lifted that charity, uh, Reese Jones's family, it was a charity connected to them. They've, they haven't replied direct, but they sent it to someone else. And then they've responded. And that, that gave me some motivation. Do you know what I mean? And then uh, Mothers Against Guns responded to me when I lifted them. And that gave me motivation to continue on that path. Because they were, they were acknowledging me. They weren't saying, oh, no, you're a piece of shit. The misery, of course, we don't want to know you or we don't want to engage with you, they were acknowledging me. And even though I never worked with them when I got out, I had a meeting with one or two of them, it's still, at that time, it gave me that inspiration to, to, to push on, on the right path, do you know what I mean? But if they never ripped back to me, then who knows what path I would have took upon release. But that gave me my inspiration and my path to go down. So what do you say to a kid? Because, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm remembering me at 17 or 18 or whatever, and 
you're talking about, well, you get a, a knife or a gun and you feel powerful and, and every boy wants to feel powerful and, and, and able to defend themselves when they're 17, right? You've got money. Uh, you know, you don't have to take shit from anyone. I wouldn't say you've got money because I was always skint. Right. I was earning good money sometimes, but I was always skint. I never had money. Yeah. I couldn't pull five grand out. I couldn't pull ten grand out. I was but that's what some kids think, right? You're going to have loads yeah, of money. Yeah, obviously, that's what they think. But yeah. not, I've never met a rich gang member. Never, really? Never. Not not once have I ever met a wealthy gang member. Because wealth... I know many wealthy drug dealers, you know, but and wealthy criminals. But when you're gangbanging, shooting at each other on the street, you can't make money. The police are all over you. You're attracting attention. And that's why a lot of drug dealers who are doing well don't like the attention. They don't like the rigmarole and the drama. So they don't, they don't do all that. All the big OCGs, the vast majority. Don't get me wrong, you might get someone shot, but be on the sly or to pay to get it done, for example. It's, they're not running around gangbanging. They're not carrying firearms gangbanging on the streets of Liverpool or the streets of where, whatever city because they're focused on making money. Do you know, they're more organised, more better structured where the gangbangers, they're the ones carrying the knives and carrying the guns and they're the ones that never make money. Don't get me wrong, they, they might have a county line in them a grand a day. It doesn't last, and I've got no show for it. They'll go out and buy a thousand pound coat or six hundred pound shoes, and they've, they've got a girlfriend at home who doesn't work, and she's high maintenance because she's gone for that type of boy, that type of lad. So he's financing her, he's financing him. They're eating out all the time. They're spending money, stupid watches, and you know they're going thirty quid on haircuts and mm. going to clubs, getting champagne. So they're always skint. The money, they're, they're only low key drug dealers. You don't really get many gangbangers that are. High up and, 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 and that have got a high net worth. Very that few. makes sense. But what about the other stuff? You know, I, I want to I want to be powerful. I want to defend myself. What 100%. do you say to kids like that? What do you mean to talk them out of it? Yeah. Well, how, how do you, because that's one of the things you work on yeah, now, definitely. right? Yeah, definitely. As I say, professionals, all these um, youth workers now, they think I'm too controversial. But one of my arguments to every professional and every youth worker, your approach isn't working. So I'm probably the most controversial reformist there is, do you know what I mean? Because I speak to them like, I was at a centre once and I called one of the kids a little bastard, do you know what I mean? And I got frowned upon, all the youth workers were like, oh, we don't want your back, we don't want your back. But their approach ain't working. And I told them that, I said, your approach ain't working. And that same kid who I called the little bastard, he's asked me ever since, I want to work with him, I want to work with him, I want to work with him. Because he, he was attached to me, he wanted to work with me, he wanted to engage with me. He doesn't want to engage. He's at a, PR, a PRU, alternative provisions, a yeah. pupil referral unit. So he's been expelled from school. No one can manage this kid. No one can control him. But he wants to work with me, even though I called him a little bastard. But these youth workers, these do good youth workers who haven't got a clue, they've got no practical experience. Everything they've learned is from a book, uni, college, whatever. And they can't control these kids. They haven't got, they don't speak the same language. It's just like an Arab and a Jew. One speaks Arabic, one speaks Hebrew. You're not going to get constructive dialogue. From them, do you, know, do, do you know what I mean? And, and so you need a, a middle person who can translate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so yep, yep. It, these youth workers. So what are you saying? Language. What's the approach that these kids need, in your opinion? It depends on the kids. A, a black kid in London will be different to reforming a white kid in Liverpool. Right. They've got different ideology, and, and, and I know the goals and the targets are the same: financial and power and guns status, and what yeah. was status. Uh, that might be similar. Or the same, but the ideology in the way they speak, in, in, in the way they, it's different. So the method what will work on a white kid in Liverpool 
won't necessarily work on a blackhead in Peckham or Brixton, for example, say. So it depends who you're reforming and it depends on the approach you're going to take. But every kid I've engaged with, every young person I've engaged with, has always been 100% receptive. And my uh, approach, my strategy, I've tested that over the past, I'd say the past 12 months approximately. It's been tested on over 100 kids. When I go to youth centres, there'll be like 30 kids plus. And every single time, my approach and the way I come across has been 100% receptive. You know and I mean? and so, so what tactics do you use? The first time you meet them, what, what do you do? How do you speak to them? I know it's different depending on the kid. Obviously, it's got to be an icebreaker, but th there was one kid at a youth centre, a different youth centre I went to. He was about, he was young. He must have been about 12, 13. He was one of the worst kids there. And he pointed them out, said he was the worst one. And uh, he started giving me shit, calling me whatever he was saying. And I've given him shit back. I said, you fucking little prick. I said, I'll put you in that wheelie bin in a minute. Me like a so I've come across, I've used instrumental aggression. You understand what I'm saying? And, and the, youth, the, 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 the professionals, they went to youth where there was a, some, some fella there who, who worked at the centre and he's looked at me like that and, and walked away. He was laughing, but shaking <laughs> his head. You know what I mean? Saying I put a telling some kids, some thirteen-year-olds, I put you in a fucking wheelie bin if you carry on. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it broke the ice. Yeah. And then I took him outside and spoke to him. And I was I spoke his language. And, and it, my communication with him, he listened to me and he apologised. What What do you mean by he, you spoke his language? What I, spoke, is that? I spoke his language like a youth workers. One, you'll never see a youth worker saying to a kid. You fucking little prick, I'll put, put you in a bin. He wouldn't even call a kid a prick. Yeah. Or a little bastard, or you fucking, you little c. He don't speak the language. Or a youth worker, I'd never say who the fuck he's speaking to. Yeah. They don't, because the profession, they, they've got too much accountability. They've got to satisfy these big wigs above them. And, these, and they don't come from that background, these youth workers. Even the ones in, who walk around with the jeans by the knees and pretend, that, pretend they come from that background, they ain't that guy. And the kids see that, they're fake. They're counterfeit. They're full of, sh they're full of shit. Excuse me, language, but they're full of shit. And, and it's just like the youth workers, <clears throat> some of them are black and they think they can communicate with every black kid. That's bullshit. That's bollocks. Just because you're the same colour doesn't mean these kids respect you. It's just like a white youth worker. It doesn't mean every white youth worker, every white kid is going to respect a white youth worker. Mm. And, and I've, I'm a massive critic of youth workers and professionals because they've got the wrong approach and I think they're making the problem worse than it is. How so? Because they don't speak the same language as the kids. They haven't got the right approach. They haven't, they're trying to pussyfoot and tiptoe around these kids. And they go, oh, you can't speak to them like that. You might traumatise them. Traumatise them. They're fucking walking around with an handgun. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you're saying, I'm going to traumatise me. You're fucking mad. He's just, he's just stabbed some other kid down the road mm -hmm. 10 minutes ago. So, and you're saying, I'm going to traumatise him by calling him a little or telling him I'm, I'll put him in a wheelie bin. I'm saying, for example, doesn't mean the kid I spoke to is just stabbed or shot someone. I'm not saying that, but yeah, 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 these are yeah. the type of kids that are walking yeah. the streets. Yeah. So you speak the language and you assert your authority. That's one hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. And what else? How do you get over the fact that you've got a bunch of young people in this country who don't have an affinity to anything, who feel like their only way of getting success or status or respect or power or whatever is to get a gun or a knife? How do you deal with that? Yeah, but look, <clears throat> if a kid says to me. I feel powerful when I've got a gun. I say, yeah, I agree, because I did the same. And I felt powerful. It's great. It gives you a buzz. And I can understand the buzz you're getting. However, 
it ain't going to make you money. You, you might rob a watch or you might rob a few ounces of coke off some drug dealer when you're putting your gun to him. But you'll spend that and then you're going to go back out next week or in a few days and have to do the same. Eventually, you're going to get jailed. You're going to be shot. You're going to get a five plus. If you use the gun, you get longer. But even if you just get caught with your gun, you're going to get five years plus and you'll be sat in jail. That's two grand or two ounces of crack what you've just robbed off someone. If you sell it for a grand or 15 ton, 15 ton won't last you five years. Your post orders, are you can spend 25, 30 good a week. So times that by 52, my, my match isn't great. What, what is it? Do you know what I mean? The 25 quid times 52. So do your sums. So you're going to be sat in jail skint on your ass on the phone begging your mum for a post order. I've been there myself. And it doesn't last. That's why you see all these gang members in jail, they're skint. And, and, and <clears throat> a lot of them get onto these young broke white birds in jail. Like they'll meet them in jail. The bird will be outside. The gang member will meet her and get onto her through writing to her. I don't know. Or on the phone. And they'll start my money off it. Oh, get me trainees, babe. I love you and this and that. So he's he's being financed by this girl who he's met in prison who he doesn't previously know. And she's got kids to raise. But this this gang member in jail, I'm not saying all gang members are like that, but a vast big proportion do this. They cling on to girls because it's it they source an income resource they fund them from this innocent fucking young girl who's been who's got misguided loyalty to them, who, who believes that this gang member in jail loves them because he's on, on his Instagram with a six-pack and, and, and his chest out and he's got a six-pack and he's in good shape. He's, just, he's preying on it financially for financial gain. And then he gets out and and, and he thinks, nah, fuck it. She, she's got six kids or fucking four kids and, and she, you know, I'm not going to settle down with her. It was just a means to an end to get through his prison. Do you know what I mean? To get him trainees, to get him post orders. To, and it's quite common in jail. Do you know what I mean? But gang members are, are skint. And going back to the story, it, it's about re-educating re these kids on the consequences and the pros and cons, the benefits. Mm. I'm not going to tell any kid, don't carry a gun. But I'm going to give them, these are the benefits, these are the consequences. Mm. The consequences outweigh the benefits. But when I'm communicating with them, I'm telling them straight, look, you'll end up skint, you'll end up in jail. You know, what, what, if you use your gun and kill someone, you'll end up in jail, wanking for your next 30 years. And you'll, you'll be getting out of an old man, mending tuna off your neighbour. It's not the place to be. It's not the place to go. It's shit. You know, if the benefit outweighs the risk, then fair enough. But in this, in violent crime, the benefit don't outweigh the risk. And it's about getting this message to them and not saying, don't do it. I'm working with the police or I'm working with the council. Don't do it. Because they're going to look at you like you're a c and think, why should I listen to you? You've got to put put a two minute. You've got to become their leader. It's like a, a pack of dogs, and you're becoming part of that pack. You've got to become part of them, and then lead from within, uh, and and be a good example to them, and show them. Look, you can hustle on the streets for years and be skint. Whereas if you go to uni and, and hustle for three years, you get a degree. You can go and get a job, forty, fifty grand a year. You're earning more legitimately legit money than you're half from crime. Are you going to buy a house? And they go, well, I'll just save up. Save up from robbing a few hours of crack every week. Where are you going to, where are you going to put your money? I'll get my nan to buy me. I'll give it to me nan. And then you've got to educate them on money laundering. There's a, there's a lawyer who we've got the programme when I'm doing. There's a lawyer who's going to come and do a talk every programme and he's going to educate them on joint enterprise, conspiracy, money laundering. And, and he's going to educate the reality. You can't just go and, go and rob people or go and sell crack and smash and then go and buy it also with the proceeds. It don't work like that. You understand what I'm saying? So it's it's getting the message 
through to them by speaking the same language and then getting the lawyers to explain the legal side, to corroborate what I'm saying. Look, he's a lawyer. He represents Stone Cold Killers. He represents the biggest drug cartel. He represents the worst of the worst. He's their defense lawyer. So it's actually a very rational approach. What you're saying is you're not wagging the finger and go, oh, naughty boy. You're nah. going, look, you can do whatever you want. Correct. But these are the consequences of Correct. your actions and they're not what you think they're going to be. Correct. And and also at the same time, giving them an alternative. Yeah. Like the ones on our on the programs when I'm starting, the 16 to 19 year olds, we're going to be guaranteeing every one of them, them a job at the end of the program. The 12 to 15, there's going to be two groups, 12 to 15, 16 to 19. The 12 to 15, we can't necessarily... They're still in education, uh, alternative provisions and PIUs, so on. So we can't necessarily get them into work at that moment. But we're putting them on the right path. We might get them a fucking a weekend job in a in a garage or helping as someone's well electrician's helper or something. You don't understand what I'm saying? But the old one, 1619, we're getting them into work. And we're giving them the alternative to earn legitimate money where you can put it in the bank, you can get your good credit. We're teaching them about building the credit. How, what you've got to do to get a house, what you've got to do to get finance, what you've got to do to get cars. And we're educating them, look, you can't just go into a showroom with 50 grand of dodgy money and buy a car. Back in the day, yeah, that was fucking great. But you're in 2022 now, don't, shit don't work like that. We're educating them. What are you going to do with your money? How are you going to spend it? How are you going to launder it? How are you going to clean it? It's not as easy as you can go out and buy a coat for you in your bed and go to a club and buy champagne, but that's all your life's going to consist of. You're never going to have a house, you're never going to have a decent car, because the police are going to be questioning you, where'd you get your car? And you can't just go and buy a house like that. You can't just say, oh, my nan, give me the money. Bullshit, that, that was something you done in the 60s. It's absolute bollocks. Shit don't work like that. And it's getting this message through to these kids, and there's no one in the country that's got the solution. Hey, Francis, do you like locals? I live in London, mate, so obviously not. The only pleasure I get from the locals is when we share an intimate moment as we watch a Japanese tourist get trapped in a tube door. That is good. But I wasn't talking about the locals, I was talking about our community on Locals. You mean the one where you get phenomenal behind the scenes content when you... Thank you, When you get to ask incredible guests like Jordan Peterson, Brett Weinstein, Bill Burr, Sam Harris, Adam Carolla, Heather Hying, and others your questions? Not just that, you can get supporter-only benefits like trigonometry mugs, monthly calls with our other top supporters, and even a regular meal with me and Francis. You also get phenomenal behind-the-scenes footage of our trip to America, where we met a whole host of incredible guests and gave ourselves terminal indigestion. We're also starting to do monthly giveaways for locals only. The first one will be signed copies of Andrew Doyle's new book. Plus, you get access to an incredible community of like-minded people who share memes, have fun conversations, and most importantly, you get to make new friends. You can support us with as little as $7 or about five pounds a month, or give us more for the higher tier benefits. Go to Trigonometry, .locals.com Go to trigonometry.locals.com and support the show. Sikaris, do you think a lot of these kids are in love with an image? They've got this image in their heads of what Obviously, it means yeah. to be a gangster and... 100% look. I, I know the feminists will probably criticise me for this and these fucking, I don't know, do-gooders, but these days, if 
if you're a heterosexual man, for example, or you like women, for example, sake, just using this as an example, for a kid to get a, a decent, well, I wouldn't even say decent because the girls who go for criminals are a bit, but um, to get a decent looking one, like a fit bird, as we, as we describe it, you've got to have something to buy it. No, no, I know this is wrong, but these kids are seeing it. I'm speaking, let me, let me put myself in their perspective, in their shoes. No girl is going to look at me if I'm a fucking gimp working in McDonald's. Now, I'm not criticizing people working in McDonald's, so I'm looking at, I'm speaking. You're saying this yeah. is how a kid is thinking about this. Yeah. 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 Look, just say it how it is yeah. Yeah. and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll But just go in case it. you've got any yeah. followers that work in McDonald's, I'm, no, I'm, no, not, no, yeah, I'm, no, I'm no, not putting no, these people down. We try no. to have yeah. honest conversation. Yeah, yeah. What you're yeah. saying is, from this young man's correct, perspective, yeah, correct. Yeah. he's seeing, well, if I want to have an attractive girlfriend, correct. I can't be working in McDonald's. Correct. I have to be something. Yeah, yeah. correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they want to create a reputation, an image, and I know it's bullshit, but they don't know it's bullshit. And most of the little young girls, not even the young girls, even the girls in the 20s, whatever, 30s even, the way some of them are now, they want that image. They want that when they go to a club, their fellas this or their fellas that. Or when they go out, even the young ones who are 14, my, my my boyfriend or whatever they call them in different cities, my fella is such and such, he'll fucking kill you, he'll do this, he'll, he'll do that. That's what these girls want because then that image, what the lad's got, then goes off onto the girl so no one fucks with the girl and then she's, her credibility comes up, her status crawls up because she's dating... Johnny, Johnny fucking two chests or, or whatever he wants, <laughs> whatever he wants to go, you know, the, the, yeah. t Tommy Ten Guns. Yeah. yeah. He fellas Tommy Ten Guns, so I'll do what the fuck I want. She can speak to whoever she wants, how she wants. Because if anyone reacts to her, any of her peers give a shit. Her fella will link. They don't want the shit of her fella. So status is a massive thing. Just to, if you're a gimp, then then you ain't getting that woman. Yeah. You, you, you got, I don't want to come across offensive, but... How dare you know, if you're a gimp, you're going to end up with some little spotty gimpy girl. And who wants to be seen with a gimpy girl? I, I, I've got a gimpy girl now, so... I'm, <laughs> no, no, sorry, I, I shouldn't have even called her that, but you know what I mean? She, 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 she's, a, she's high up in a company, she's normal, she, she wears glasses, she looks like Harry Potter, but I like her. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you need in life, you need one legit, you know what I mean? Whereas these kids don't, don't want that type of stuff, they want... Yeah. The Beyonce type or the big booty, the big legs and the and the twerking and she she's got loads of followers on fucking what's that thing called? Instagram. T TikToks. Instagram, TikToks. Yeah. My Instagram followers and I've got fifty thousand likes on, on me on me semi naked picture. Yeah. That's what these kids want. Status, mm. reputation. Mm. So working in McDonald's ain't gonna get you no status unless you go to flipping burgers and you can flip a burger in six seconds and get it out on the but it's bollocks. And and so that's why we've got to change the ideology of these kids. Mm. That okay, you've got this lovely looking girl now, but when you go to jail, she'll be fucking your mate. Trust me. Or or, or your, your adversary, your gang member, rival, will be round fucking her in your bed. Because that's the way. That's the way. If you attract that type of energy, that type of person, then the outcome is always going to be negative. Because if you can't sustain her and maintain that woman in mm. prison. If you're a good person working in McDonald's, you'll get a good woman. 100% you'll be loyal and faithful. Where if it's a woman who goes for these little gang members and wants her status, that's all she wants. She likes the status and the reputation. The moment like you don't have that, she's going to find correct. someone who's got it. Correct. And when you go to prison, you no longer have that. Yeah. Because when you go to prison, people are like, oh yeah, I remember him, he was mad, but fuck him, now he's doing the 10. He can't do nothing to us. 
So he loses his influence, he loses his credibility, and so on. And so was Gail. She's thriving for that. What, what, what do I do now? He can't protect me when he was in prison. He can't. I haven't got that status, so then she'll go on to someone else. And that's the way them girls are. It's like the girl I was with at the time. When I went to prison for shooting that lad, <clears throat> she ended up getting with the lad a shot. It was a bizarre state of affairs, but I thought, <laughs> it was myself in the ranger, and he's there in the bedroom, and I thought, put him on. And I thought, what the fuck am I even doing speaking to him? But I thought, you know, bygones be bygones. I apologised to him and said, look, I'm sorry for what I've done. And he explained my reasons, and, and he apologised back to me, and it was water under the bridge. It was, it was done and dusted. I've seen him since when I got out, and, you know, I, that, that, I let on to him, and that was that. I never stopped and spoke to him. We're never going to be mates, but... He forgave me. Well, he said he forgave me, and, and, I, and I genuinely apologise, and it was genuine. So, Karis, there's a lot of people who are saying, look, the, a large part of the problem is, you know, drill music, for instance. It glamorises it. The kids listen to it. Look, I don't believe this, but there's a lot of people out there, and this is an argument that they consistently use. And in the 90s, it was, you know, gangster rap. What, what do you say to these people? Look, oh, Prince Harry, I'm sure it was Prince Harry or Prince, what's his brother's name? Prince Prince, Prince William. Prince John, uh, William or Harry. One of them listened to, I remember uh, one of them saying they listened to Gangster Rap or 50, 50 Pence, whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> <laughs> 50 Pence is yeah. such a shit name for a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the American rapper, you know. 50, 50 Cent. Cent. Yeah. yeah. 50 Cent. Uh, uh, women in the club and all that, all that yeah. type of shit. But one of them listened to him and you don't see Prince Harry and William running around London yeah. with a Glock. With a mask on. Yeah. It's bullshit. But rap music in itself doesn't make people into a monster. It doesn't make them go and get a gun and go and rob someone. But it just reinforces the ideology, I'd say. It's still got to be there. It, 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 it's like chlamydia. It, it, it's got to be there to spread it. It's got to be there to grow. Do you understand what I'm saying? If it's not there, rap, rap music may enforce that ideology. Do you know what I mean? But, and I think the main issue of rap music, drill music, whatever you want to call it, is that they slate each other. So one gang will slate another gang. Like one gang will say rapping about what, whatever he's rapping about and he'll go, uh, Terry Tib, suck your mum. Or, <laughs> or, or, or the, North, the, the North Jeep, whatever they're called. Yeah. I fucked your sister. Do you see where I'm coming from? So it's still got to be there. Whereas if two kids who work in McDonald's do a rap and go, oh, your cheeseburger was shit. <laughs> the McDonald's worker isn't going to go and kill him. Yeah. So it doesn't, it's still got to be there. They've got, it's already got to be within them. Yeah. But rap music does, it expedites the trouble. It, it can expedite it, I understand. But then people are still going to, either way, they're still going to have beef and dramas anyway. Yeah. So I don't think, it might create, rap music might create drama between two gangsters, my opinion. But, he was already gangs. So even yeah. if that rap music never made them shoot him, he would have shot someone for a different reason. Do you see what I'm saying? So they're already that type of character. I guess the argument is when you talked about people having an image in their head of It being, reinforces it, yeah. It reinforces yeah. that. With Some, the cars and the putting the video, yeah. yeah, so reinforcing and, 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 and it gets the image out there, the spectacles, the cars, the women, the dogs, yeah. the, the, the this, the gold chains, the watches and, and, the, and the boys, you're on a video with 10. Tony and mates. If they were rapping about being skint and going to prison, they probably would have a different impact. Look, if they were rapping about skinny jeans and ballet dancing, then the world would be a great place. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you understand? Yeah, but they're yeah. rapping about their lifestyles. That, but half of these rappers who were doing the life, they've never lived that life. They're full of shit. And, and I think, mate, half of you who are... There's one from the Midlands who raps about this and that. I think, 
what the fuck have you ever done? You can't rap about that shit because you're not in, you're not involved in that. Mm. So they're rapping about fucking uh, a fifty caliber, and mate, you've never even seen a fifty caliber. You probably can't even spell caliber. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? So after me rapping, I just full of shit anyway. But I wouldn't say rap music creates monsters. I think uh, it can expedite the situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. That makes sense. Um, so let, before we wrap up. Should we talk about policing a little bit? Because prison and policing and all of that, like, do we have the right approach to dealing with people like the person that you used to be in this country? Because obviously, in the end, for you, going to prison for a second time did help you to change your life and turn it around, you, uh, yeah. you, you might say. Well, I was in prison, yeah, watching that program and a few other factors combined with that, it did change me. Yeah. But I think the public are moaning that they want something done about violent crime but the same public are then moaning about stop and search. Now, my opinion, I used to get stopped more than anyone. I was stopped by armed response. So I was stopped 10 times a week, some, sometimes five times a day in the building Merseyside, constantly by armed response, constantly by matrix. So I know more than anyone how effective stop and search is. Do you know what I mean? And Merseyside police know this. I was stopped thousands and thousands of times or, or from 2009 to 2000. 16. It was mostly 2009, 2012, mostly, but I was still stopped after. Sometimes three, four, five, six times a day. So I know more than anyone. Stop and search. Do you know what I mean? And I can tell you 100% it disrupts. It won't prevent you being a criminal. Like I was a criminal and stopping me didn't prevent me being a criminal, but it makes you more reluctant. It makes you more aware. And when other gangs had come from out of the way to meet me, it was, oh, I don't want to come across the matrix. I want to avoid the matrix. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Mm. So it does disrupt you. Stop and search is massively effective. And you've got all these MPs like, you know, I, I like some views David Lamy has, but, and, and, and Don Butler and things like that, but they're against stop and search. And the black community in London is against it. And I'm saying it's the black community who are being killed. So, and, and he's a moaning that, what's happening, the consequence of gun crime, the consequence of knife crime, but you need to stand up as a community. For example, I'm using the black community as an example, because a lot of them moan in London about stop and search, like Lamy, Don Butler, so on, and the councillors and MPs, but you need to support stop and search, you need to support the police, and they're saying, but it's racist and they're stopping black people. I, I'm white, and I was stopped in Liverpool more than anyone. I don't think there was anyone in the country that was stopped as much as me. Mayside police will know this, so I'm not exaggerating. I was constantly stopped. I was harassed by them, but it was it was a, a proportionate measure. So the black community, for example, in London, need to get behind the police and support policing, support stopping search, support disrupting. And if they stop a black kid ten times a day, then if he's affiliated to gangs, then it's justified. It's proportionate. Otherwise, that's deterring him from carrying an angle, a firearm, or perhaps a knife. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the, yeah. if any of the London black community are watching this, they need to change their approach. Their kids are being killed. Black on black gang crime in London is rife. And I don't even blame the kids. I blame the parents and I blame the community. I blame the MPs and I blame the councillors because they're all, you know, do, do I love the police? Probably not. There's certain police officers that I don't trust. There's certain police forces that I don't trust. There's some I like better than others. Do you know what I mean? I've had quite a bit of support of the police since I've got out, so it doesn't mean I'm pro-police and I love the police, but I'm saying from my 
experience. And I think I'm more experienced than anyone on this subject to say stop and search works. And there needs to be more, a lot more support for policing. Now, if the police are stopping someone like yourself 10 times a day, whether you're white, black, whatever you may be, and you're not affiliated to crime, then yeah, the, the MPs need to come on down on the police like a ton of bricks and, and challenge them. Why are you stopping this person? He's not affiliated to crime. It's just the odd stop because you fit the description or because you fit that profile. Profiling as well works. It's massively effective. Like if I was walking around Liverpool in, in a tracky with a, with a bald head or a cap and the police stopped me, it's just, it's tough shit. I fit the profile of the people who are committing the crime. Mm -hmm. And if an area in London, for example, if it's black on black crime, black people are going to get stopped. And you need to accept that as one of the consequences of gun crime and, and, and to reduce, in order to reduce gun and knife crime. There needs to be more stop and search and the community needs to get behind it. And that's for any community, even white communities in Liverpool. Uh, I, I seen one where someone was getting stopped. He probably weren't a gang member by the Asda. And the woman ran over and grabbed the policeman. I'm like, go on, run. And I think of <laughs> Liverpool's a totally different yeah. kettle of fish. But um, one of the other things I want to mention as well as I, I support stop and search and I believe it's effective in saving kids' lives, saving the lives of young people and reducing violent crime. So people need to decide what they want. They are the one to reduce crime and support the police in doing so, or they can be anti-police and anti-stop and search and they'll continue to get the results what they're getting, which is numerous stabbings, numerous shootings and more and more people. If you're a gang member and your MPs are going against stop and search, that's going to, going to give you more confidence to carry a gun or to carry a knife. Because you're going to think the prospect of being stopped is reduced as a result of the pressure being put on the police not to stop you. Do you see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it's going to create more people carrying weapons. Whereas when I was involved in crime, being stopped by the police was a massive deterrent in carrying a weapon. Do you know what I mean? So um, the only other thing I want to cover as well, I don't know if there's anything else before. Aren't? No, I yeah. was going to ask you something else actually, yeah, which is, you know, we're having this, we're really grateful to have you on and, and I look forward to seeing how the work you're now doing helps kids and all of that. But I just, I can't help but think like, we are a first world country, Britain, in the 21st century, it's 2022. And we're talking about young people in our country stabbing each other to death, shooting each other with guns. Like, that's not normal, man. It's not, it's not normal. How do we, how are we going to solve that as a society? How are we going to, how are we going to get to a point where we're not having to have this conversation? Look, you're never going to eradicate violent crime. You're never going to eradicate it, but you can reduce it significantly. And I, I, I'm not just saying this and I've, I've, I've shouted this for over a year. I strongly believe I'm confident I've got the solution not to eradicate it, but to reduce it significantly. And it's aimed at the young people who are the next generation who are involved in this stuff. It's not aimed at the older ones because they're more harder to reform. The more ingrained a behaviour becomes, the more harder it is to de-radicalise and divert you. But I believe I've got the solution, but it's very controversial. It's something different. And it's something what's going to attract a lot of criticism. But what I'm, what I'm asking people is allow it to take its course and look at the end result. The, 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 it's a means to an end. The means being used is massively controversial. The language used is inappropriate. It's not. But all the people I'm speaking to, all the parents are saying, yeah, this is what we need. We need this because this is what they listen to. Do you know what I mean? The mentors that we're going to be using aren't your average mentor. The, 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 I don't want to give too many tactics and strategies away because everyone says, what's your solution? And I'm never going to tell them because then they'll go and implement it. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a guy who was doing a program with what I'm going to be doing 
and he, he's tried to replicate it and do it himself now, but it'll never work because he hasn't got what it takes. I'm not academically clever, but I know I can, re I can resolve this issue. I don't mean resolve in the sense of eradicate it, but I can reduce it significantly. When, and I'm asking people just to don't look at the means or the tactics I'm using and don't criticise that. Look at the end result. If I can get 75% of people on the programme, if I can reform them, have them reformed, then the means ought to be irrelevant. Do you, do you see where I'm coming mm. from? Or, well, it sort of depends on the means, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, obviously it's not going to be unlawful, but it's, yeah. it's going to be a professional to look at it and go, put their hands up. Like, there was one invested that, that was deterred because I called one of the kids a little bastard. So he, he said, no, I, I, I don't want to put my name to that. Why me? They're calling them a little bastard. I'm sure they've been called worse. They're shooting and stabbing people. They're flying around with guns. They're taking people out of cars at night point. And you're saying calling them a little bastard is inappropriate. People, normal people and professionals, youth workers, psychologists, criminologists, they're mad their approach. If they've got the solution, go and apply it and, and reduce the issue. But they haven't. They're all scratching their heads. What do we do about knife crime? Well, don't criticise me until you see the outcome. Uh, the program, when I run a pilot, I'm trying to get funding. The pilot's going to cost me £12,000 to run for three months. And in order for me to get funding, I need to run a, a pilot scheme, what I'm doing, what I'm going to be implementing and get an outcome evaluation. So what are the results? Did it achieve the intended results? And how many people were reformed? And I want to reform a minimum of 75% of people that complete the program. I, I'm saying I'm giving them more or less guarantee 75% of people who come through this program and complete it will reform, will be reformed. Now, I want to run the pilot scheme in a city in the north, and it's um, I'm it's £12,000 a run. One of the things I've done is set up a GoFundMe, but people automatically look and think, GoFundMe, it's a scam, ex-criminal, he's this, he's that, he's using it to, I don't know what they think I'm using it for, to set up another brothel maybe, which is not the case, but people automatically assume the worst. And it's not, I've got major scrutiny on me. I've got a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of eyes watching me. So if I was to fail on this program, then it's only me that's going to get the backlash. You understand what I'm mm -hmm. saying? But I'm confident at work. I'm more than confident. And that's what I want to try and implement to show. I don't want to be speaking about it. I want to put it into practice and get it done and show and demonstrate. And the councillors I've spoke to, the councillors, I've had a few meetings with different councillors and they're saying, okay, yeah, if, if it works, we're happy to back it, do you know what I mean? And then the funding will come. Then I can go for government funding, then I can go for private investment. Even investors are saying, there's many investors that are saying, we won't put our name to it now because we don't know the outcome. You know, I, I could go and get loads of kids and recruit them back into gangs for all they know. Or send them out in the streets with loads of guns, who knows? People don't want to take the risk in you until they see the outcome. But yeah, you've got to prove it. 100% and that's what I'm trying to do. So that's why I'm trying to raise the £12,000 to run it. It works out less than £27.70 per kid, less than £28 per day per kid. And out of that money, out of that £28, they're getting a gym membership, they're getting a personal trainer. It's all that activities covered. It's the rent of the classroom. It's the work booklets. It's getting them to and from the classroom. Everything is covered in, at the food. So they'll be fed as well. So it's covering £28 a day is a minimum. I'm not taking a wage out of that. No one's taking a wage. People are going to be volunteering, but £28 a day. Is going to be minimum. The lawyer who's volunteering, he, he's not getting paid. Everyone's volunteering their own time and uh, an effort to this program because some people are confident in it. Do you know what I mean? And I'm 
they're at work. There's no doubt about it. I recruited kids into gangs. I've radicalised kids. And another thing that happened to me, I was radicalised in prison by people who were affiliated to Al-Qaeda. And that strategy, what was used to radicalise me, I then went on to use that strategy with kids on the street. And I want to still continue to use that, but for the opposite effect. So to de what you've got to do effectively is de-radicalise kids. So they, and they've got an ideology which is ingrained in them. You've got to de-radicalise and change that ideology, change that mindset, change that way of thinking. I mean, it's pointless just putting them on a programme and keeping them out of trouble for three months. I want to make sure that when they finish the programme, complete the programme, that they're going to stay on that right path. And it's about changing the mindset, changing the way of thinking. And, you know, that's what I want to... The tactics and strategies what Al-Qaeda used to, to groom me and radicalise me. Well, one of the bonus questions we'll ask for our locals only uh, will be about that. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we wish you the best of luck with it. We'll put all the links in the video so that people can follow up. Um, we want you to succeed with it. We hope that you are able to do that, of course. Yes, definitely. Uh, thanks for your time, man. We really appreciate it. No uh, before we let you go, we've got a couple of questions for our locals only, which we'll ask you in a second. Yeah. But we always finish the interview with the same question. Which is, what's the one thing we're not talking about that we really should be? Um Use yourselves, or do you mean society? Society. 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 In respect of what crime, what anything, at anything all. you want to talk about, anything you want to mention. I don't know. I don't really understand stocks and shares. So the only thing I do understand <laughs> is crime and yeah. things like yeah. that. So I, what, I, what 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 don't people know about crime, prison, policing that you look, think they really should? What people need to know is prison doesn't work. Prison is just a warehouse. What contains criminals mm -hmm. until they're released? It does not work. It does not rehabilitate. Prison can work. It can be effective. If the approach is changed when in prison, there needs to be effective rehabilitation. But that'll take that's another subject for another day. Secondly, prisons are needed to support I support more prisons and, and longer prison sentences, but for certain offenders, but it's not working. It's just a it's just a university for criminals. Someone can go in a shoplifter and come out a drug dealer because they acquire more skills and they meet more connections. That's where I met a lot of my connections in prison. Um and the other thing is about policing. I think there's a lot of police that I don't trust. There's certain police forces that I think are dodgy as hell, but as a whole, society needs to get behind the police. They need to support the police and they need to support and promote stop and search. All, all this bullshit that's saying, no, no, we can't be stopping these kids. We can't. It'll save lives. It'll save the kids' life because if they're carrying a gun or a knife, that, they're at an increased risk of them being harmed themselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? So stop and search and an effective policing does save lives, 100%. And, you know, these people are losing kids left, right and centre and losing family members, brothers, fathers. If that individual, that perpetrator, would have got stopped by the police, then he, he maybe the chances are he wouldn't have went on to commit that murder or to commit that assault where people are seriously harmed in, 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 in hospitals. So I think society needs to be more supportive of the police. Sicaris, it's been an absolutely brilliant interview. If people want to understand the work that you do, if people want to access the work that you do, where's the best way to find that online? Yeah, they, they can follow me on my Twitter account. And once the program's Im implemented, then th there'll be all the links yep. I'll be putting on that. And I'll also send you the other links to, to the website, to the, to the company that's going to be over overseeing the program and implementing it. So you just can add that uh, when you've uploaded all the links to it. But people can follow me Twitter account, which is Sicarius McGrath, and I'll give you the link to it. Add to it. But if there's anyone interested in uh, the contributing to the program or investing in it, then feel free to get in touch with me.
It's been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for coming on. And thanks to you for watching. All our episodes always go out Wednesdays and Sundays, 7 p.m. UK time. Raw shows Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And it's also available as a podcast for those of you who like your trigonometry on the go. Take care and see you soon, guys. I was deeply, deeply radicalised because if I would never got out and went back to gangs, then maybe I could have been the next shoe bomber, Richard Reed. Who knows? I could have brought a plane down, a train down. I, I don't know what, a, what a, perhaps could have happened. Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.